This morning, I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 39. I'll be reading verses 1 to 23. As today, we continue our eight-part study of the life of Joseph, lessons on faithfulness and forgiveness. Genesis chapter 39. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence the public reading of God's holy word. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master has not does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me, but as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. While Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. You may be seated.
It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his work entitled Temptation that says that all of us have an inclination towards desire which is both sudden and fierce. It doesn't matter what form the temptation takes, whether it's sexual desire, ambition, vanity, revenge, greed, or power. For at the moment of our sin, God becomes very unreal to us. It's not that Satan wants us to hate God. He just wants us to forget about God in the moment. Those words written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer were penned before World War II. Yet it really does not matter what generation you come from, what culture in which you live, what nation you reside. Because temptation is part and parcel with the human condition. Temptation that is both sudden and fierce. There are times when you overcome temptation. There are times when you are overpowered by temptation. The scripture is littered with scandalous stories of men and women of God who fall prey to temptation. I guess that's what makes this story so refreshing. For the story I just read for you is the man of God who's obedient to the will of God by the power of God. And I don't know about you, but that is a refreshing story for us to read. The author tells us that Joseph was taken down to Egypt. There he was sold to Potiphar by the Midianite merchants. Potiphar is described as the bodyguard or the captain of the guard of Pharaoh's army. There is a uh, Jewish historian who describes that phrase as saying that Potiphar was the chief executioner. In other words, Potiphar is a tough man with a tough job. Think about it. Just days earlier, Joseph had been living in the lap of luxury. He was the favorite son of his beloved daddy, Jacob. And now, just a few days have passed. Now, he is the property of the most despised man in all of Egypt. He is now the property of the roughest, toughest, cruelest man in all of the nation. This is a story of going from riches to rags. I mean, in just a few days, Joseph had fallen a mighty long way. He was sitting at the top of his family. He had the coat of many colors, which really was a retirement plan uh, that was an early retirement plan given to him by his father, which said, you don't have to lift your hand to do any manual labor. Just leave all that for the scallywags called your brothers. And now he's gone from being daddy's favorite child to being property of the chief executioner in all of Egypt. He must have thought to himself, how did I get here? Yet, we realize that God was with Joseph. In fact, there's a five-word phrase that's repeated twice in this passage. The five-word phrase is, the Lord was with Joseph. We read it in verse 2, we read it in verse 23. They form bookends around this entire chapter. Everything must be seen through the lens of the reality that the Lord was with Joseph. 
Everything had changed in Joseph's life. He was in a new land, learning a new culture, having to speak a new language. He was surrounded by new people, eating different food, and now having to work for the first time in his life. Everything had changed. Everything topsy-turvy. Everything turned upside down, inside out. The wheels of his life are falling apart. Nothing is the same except for one thing. The Lord was with Joseph. The same Lord that was with Joseph in Shechem The same Lord that was with Joseph in Hebron. The same Lord that was with Joseph in Dothan. The same Lord that was with Joseph when he was there in the pit of the cistern. The very same Lord that accompanied him on the bouncy road from Dothan to Egypt. That very same Lord was with Joseph, even though Joseph was in foreign territory. Because I guess you can never get beyond the boundaries of God. You can never get beyond his jurisdiction. You can never get beyond his ability to speak and to reach. The Lord was with Joseph. One of the greatest promises in all the Bible is the promise of divine accompaniment. I will never leave you nor forsake you, declares the Lord. This has been repeated to God's people over and over and over again. When Abraham left Ur of the Chaldeans, the Lord was with him. When Moses went down to Egypt and said to Pharaoh let God's people go the Lord was with him when uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were in the fiery furnace we read that the Lord was with them when Daniel was in the lion's den or better yet the lions were in Daniel's den the Lord was with him when Jonah found himself in the smelly belly of a fish the Lord was with him when uh, Paul was shipwrecked the Lord was with him when Peter was in prison the Lord was with him. I came this morning to tell you that if you're a child of God, you have the promise of divine accompaniment that the Lord is always with you. Whether you are in sickness or in health, the Lord is with you. Whether you're in poverty or in wealth, the Lord is with you. Whether you're in success or setback, the Lord is with you. Whether you have employment or you just got a pink slip, the Lord is with you. Whether you're on the top of the world or the bottom of the chasm, the Lord is with you. Whether you're in life or in death, the Lord is with you. God promises to all of his children, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The greatest statement that can be made in all of sacred scripture is that the Lord was with you. It's a five word phrase, but it's a powerful phrase, one that we ought not ever forget. Because regardless of what's going on in the circumstances of our life, regardless of the scenario that seems to be documenting your existence, the Lord is with you. What a comforting five-word phrase. This not only brings peace to Joseph, it also brings prosperity. In fact, we are told that Joseph was there in the house of Potiphar, And Potiphar could see that everything Joseph touched turned to gold. So he made Joseph his personal attendant. I don't know if Mr. Potiphar was a religious man. 
But I do know he was a shrewd businessman. He thought to himself, now wait a minute, if everything this young man touches turns to gold, maybe I should give him a little bit more authority. Maybe I should give him a little bit more control of the company. Maybe I should make him CEO of Potiphar's House Incorporated. Maybe he needs to be in charge of everything on the family farm. Maybe he needs to be the manager of all the servants, both in the house and outside the house. Maybe he needs to do all the dealings. Maybe he needs to be the business manager. Maybe he needs to be in charge of everything. So eventually, after several years, Potiphar gives his household over full control to the one named Joseph. Now think about that. Joseph was a bought servant. Yes, he's a servant who's living in a lap of luxury, you could say, but he's still a slave. And yet, even though he's a slave, he's a successful slave. Everything he does turns out well. In fact, uh, the Bible says that the only thing that Potiphar had to concern himself with was the food that he ate. That's a pretty nice life, don't you think? The only decision you've got to make is what am I going to eat for breakfast and what am I going to eat for lunch and what am I going to have for dinner? That's the only thing that Potiphar had to worry about. That's the only decision he had to make. Why? Because he fully trusted Joseph because Joseph had the divine favor of the Lord. I don't know that Potiphar was all that religious, but I do know he was rather astute. And so he recognized the divine favor of God upon Joseph And he said, Joseph, you're in charge of everything. I will not withhold anything in this household from you. What you see, you can have. Except you can't have my wife. She's off limits to you. But everything else, you can have. Joseph says, no worries. And as the years passed, Joseph had more and more and more success. Now, if you're familiar with stories, how stories are supposed to go, It's at this moment that you anticipate for the main character of the story to have a failure. Something's got to go bad. Something's got to go down. And if you're familiar with the writing of stories, just in a very general sense, you expect that now's the time for Joseph to fall. After all, it was Chuck Swindoll who said that with moments of great success, come moments of great trust. And where there's great trust, there are greater moments of unguarded vulnerability. The more success you have, the more trust you're given. The more trust you're given, the less people are watching over your shoulder. You have much freedom. That that happens in life as you mature, as you grow older. That happens in the workplace as you get promotion after promotion. There are fewer people that are watching over your shoulders. And Chuck Swindoll says that with great success comes great trust. With great trust comes greater opportunities for unguarded vulnerability. It's at this moment that as the reader, you expect something to happen. You expect Joseph to fall in some way. The table is set for a catastrophe. We are told that Joseph was well-built and handsome. I've never known the Bible to exaggerate. So for it to say that he was well-built, he must have been built like a freight train. 
To say that he was handsome was to say he could grace the cover of any GQ magazine. Joseph was well-built and handsome. In other words, he's the guy in high school I always hated. He's the guy in high school that all the girls loved. Well-built and handsome. Could do anything, was successful in the classroom, outside the classroom, on the ball field. Uh, He could do anything. He was uh, a superman. That's Joseph. Everything he touches turns to gold. He's well-built. He's handsome. Blah, 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 blah. He's the kind of guy that I would hate. Mrs. Potiphar notices Joseph. She sees he's well-built. He's handsome. She's watched as he's worked and labored. She's she's watched and she's gawked and she's stared at him. Mrs. Potiphar usually gets what Mrs. Potiphar wants. She is the wife of the captain of the guard, don't you know? So one day, she seductively approaches Joseph. I'll let you know up front, I do a terrible impression of a seductive woman, so I'm not even going to (laughs) try. But you can well imagine how she flipped her hair and how she strolled into the presence of Joseph. You can well imagine this. She comes to him and she says, come to bed with me. The request is audacious. It it almost shocks you as the reader. It jumps off the page. It grabs you. What did she just say? Yes, come to bed with me. She mixes no words. She's forceful. She is direct. And it's at this moment that you think, aha, here is the moment that Joseph will fall. By now, he's in his mid to late 20s. One commentator said it this way, Joseph ain't a mummy. He's a red-blooded man. He's being seduced by a beautiful woman. We should not visualize Mrs. Potiphar as being grossly obese, with body odor, with bad breath, three hairs hanging out of her nostrils. No. No, Mrs. Potiphar is a G-O-O-D good-looking woman. She is fine. And she approaches him. The commentator says, Joseph is not a mummy. Joseph is a red-blooded man being seduced by a very attractive woman. What do you think would normally happen? But then the author writes three powerful words. But... He refused. Joseph is growing up before our very eyes, isn't he? He's a man of charisma, and he's a man of conviction. Conviction is not necessarily something you hold, but it's something that holds you. And because of his conviction, he refused. It's not because she's ugly. It's not because she's stinky. It's not because he don't like women. It's simply because he is gripped by his convictions. But he refused. He said to her, I'm very flattered by your advancement, Mrs. Potiphar, but uh, 
I, I can't do this. Um, your husband, my master, has put me in charge of everything in this household. There's nothing here that does not belong to me. He's given me access to everything except one thing, and that's you. And you're off limits to me because you are his wife. And how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? He said, I, I can't do this. Not only because of my respect for Mr. Potiphar, but also because of my adoration of my God. I cannot do this wicked thing. I cannot sin against my God. He was hoping that that little sermonette would stop her, but it didn't. Day after day, day after day, day after day, she kept making advancement after advancement after advancement, with each one being more intense than the one before. In fact, it got to the point where Joseph said, I can't even be around her. He said, I, I can't even be with her. I cannot be found alone with her. And so he avoided her. She would walk down the hallway. He would turn and walk in the other direction. I mean, he was obvious in his avoidance. So eventually she set a trap for him. Keep in mind, temptation is sudden and fierce. Temptation oftentimes won't take no for an answer. Mrs. Potiphar wouldn't take no for an answer. She set a trap. Joseph went into the house one day to do all of his daily chores and responsibilities. He noticed that no one was in the house. This is very odd. Mr. Potiphar has a lot of servants, and usually all day, every day, the servants are doing all of their chores upstairs and downstairs and in the garage and in the basement. They're all over the place. But on this day, nobody is here. Then all of a sudden, Mrs. Potiphar comes around the corner. She is scantily clad, leaving nothing to the imagination. She comes to him. She falls upon him, literally throws herself upon Joseph, saying, come to bed with me. Nobody is here. Potiphar is gone. There are no servants around. No one will know just this one time. It'll only be once. Give yourself in to this temptation. I know you feel the same way that I feel. It will be our little secret, and I won't tell anybody. And Joseph doesn't even say a word. He has no southern hospitality. He doesn't even say, no, ma'am. I've got something to do. He doesn't speak a word. He just bolts. He runs. She uh, grabbed a hold of his cloak as she fell upon him. The cloak was the outer jacket, the, the, the shirt that he was wearing. She grabbed a hold of it when she fell upon him. This brother ran with such force that he ran out of his shirt. He, he ran with such force he ran out of his shirt left the shirt behind, didn't turn around, went out the front door, over the hill, through the horizon, got as far away as he possibly could go. I don't know where he went, but he went as far from Mrs. Potiphar as the family farm would allow. He was gone. Now she's humiliated. She screams. When she screams, her maidservants come in. She has to quickly make up a story. She says that Hebrew that my husband brought to us came to make sport of us. He came to make a sexual advancement against me. I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran away. He left his shirt right here, the shirt that I have in my hand. 
the other servants thought to themselves, how could this be? How could Joseph do this? This doesn't sound like Joseph, but that's what Mrs. Potiphar said. Oh, my. That night, Mr. Potiphar comes home. I don't know where he's been all day, but he finally comes home. She says the same story to him. That Hebrew servant that you brought to us came to make sport of us. He came to make a sexual advancement against me. He came to rape me. I screamed, and he ran away. He left his shirt lying here. I picked it up. This is the one. Check it out for yourself. Isn't this the jacket and the shirt, the cloak that belongs to that Hebrew slave that you brought? When Potiphar hears the story of how the servant named Joseph treated his wife, he burned with anger. Any husband would burn with anger at this story. He seizes Joseph. Without a word, without interrogation, without an interview, he throws him into the prison. Not just any prison, but the king's prison. Where the king's prisoners are held. There have been some people who really questioned whether or not Potiphar believed his wife. They questioned it because Potiphar is the chief executioner. He could have executed Joseph on the spot and nobody would have questioned him and asked ask him anything but maybe Potiphar knew that his wife was a floozy and Potiphar knew that Joseph was a man of God and even pagan Potiphar questioned the veracity of the story but he had to do something he's between a rock and a hard place so he throws him into prison Now what's Joseph to do? Hmm. He is being incarcerated for something he did not do. I, I can't think of anything more horrific than having to go to prison for a crime you did not commit. I don't know about you, but I, 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 think, I think that would drive me bonkers. I think I would go insane. I think I would keep saying what every inmate says. I didn't do it, but we know from reading the story he didn't do it. These are false allegations of rape. I mean, we expect God to show up and come over and, and, and have the keys of the, of the jail and, and walk in with an angel and, and unlock the jail cell door and let Joseph out. But he doesn't. Joseph's in prison. He didn't do anything wrong. In fact, he did everything right. I came across this statement that the greatest temptation to do wrong is to not be rewarded for doing right. Joseph wasn't rewarded for doing the right thing. And he landed him in prison. Why in the world would he serve God after all of this? Now, you may have read ahead. You may be familiar with the story. You know that eventually Joseph is going to be exonerated and lifted out of the prison. But Joseph doesn't know this. He's not reading the story. He's living the story. For all he knows, he's going to Rotten jail. But the author tells us that God's favor was still upon Joseph. The same favor that was in Potiphar's house is the same favor that's in Pharaoh's prison. And Joseph has the divine accompaniment of God. And the prison warden takes note of this. And the prison warden trusts the inmate. How crazy is that? 
the prison warden trusts the inmate and says, hey, you can be in charge of all your other inmates. And everything goes well. In fact, the warden doesn't have to worry at all about any of the affairs of the prison, anything going on, doesn't have to worry about a riot, doesn't have to worry about anything going on with the other prisoners because he knows that Joseph is in charge. And once again, we hear that five-word phrase, that beautiful phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. As I read this story, I wonder to myself, what gave Joseph the, the strength to run? It was Martin Luther, that great Protestant reformer, who tried to answer that question. And he said, what gave Joseph the strength to run was the word of God planted inside of him. The word of God planted inside of him. You know that the word of God is in Joseph. You say, well, preacher, how do you know that? Because Joseph acknowledges that the advancement against him is a sin. How does he know that the advancement of Mrs. Potiphar is a sin unless the word of God is inside of him? He knows that it's a sin. He calls it wickedness. He understands that there is a connection between the horizontal and the vertical. How can I sin against you and it'll be a wicked sin against God? Only somebody who has the word of God inside of them understands the connection that to sin against somebody else is an affront and a sin against God. So he says, how can I do this? How can I do this wicked thing? How can I commit this sin against my God. It's the word of God that's planted inside Joseph that gives him the strength to run. My friend, this word of God is a sword, a weapon. And if you stuff this in your life, it'll give you strength to withstand temptation. What did the Lord say to Ezekiel, that prophet of God? He said, eat this scroll devour it, digest it, eat it. Why? Because it will strengthen you. It will sustain you. We are weak when it comes to spiritual warfare, oftentimes because we fail to dine on the main dish. We do not devour the word of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word tabernacled with us. And even our own vocabulary is that when we surrender to the authority of Jesus Christ, we say that Christ lives inside of us. Because if you have the word, the word of God, the God of the word, if you have the word in you, it will strengthen you. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. How did Joseph withstand this temptation? He had the word of God inside of him. Secondly, not only did he have the word of God inside of him, but he established boundaries around him. Did you catch the boundary that he established? He said... I cannot even be alone with this woman. He put up the boundary. A boundary keeps some things in and other things out. And Joseph said, I want holiness to be kept in. I want Mrs. Potiphar to be kept out. Because if Mrs. Potiphar is allowed in, then my holiness may go out. He's aware of himself. He's aware that he ain't perfect. He's aware of his own flaws. He's aware of his own potential mistakes. So he says, I got to set up a boundary. You know something about a boundary? A boundary must be established before temptation ever strikes. If you wait to set up a boundary, once temptation strikes, it is too late. 
today, you better establish a boundary. Know yourself, know your sin. I don't know what your sin may be. Your sin may be sexual promiscuity. Your sin may be pride. It may be greed. It may be depression. It may be any form of unrighteousness. It, 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 It could be gossip. Whatever the form of sin is in your life, you've got to know yourself and know your sin and then set up a boundary to keep that at bay and keep holiness residing within you. This is exactly what Joseph does. Let me try to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Teenagers, do not wait until Friday night when you're in the backseat of the car. The windows are already fogged. The breathing's getting heavy. And then you think to yourself, how far is too far? By then it's too late. Today, You better set the boundary. Adults, I say a very similar thing to you. Don't wait for that flirtatious glance. Don't wait for that inappropriate prolonged hug from someone other than your spouse for you then to decide how sacred are my wedding vows. If you wait till then, it's probably too late. Today, set the boundary. Don't wait till pornography is one click away, whether it's on your phone or on your computer. Don't wait till the prospect of gossip is about to cross your lips. Don't don't wait for greed to dominate your heart. Don't don't wait for uh, pride to uh, well up inside of you, for then you to decide, how am I going to respond in these scenarios? Oh no, today you better set up a boundary. That's what Joseph does. He sets it in advance. But then once sin breaches the boundary, once the advancement comes from Mrs. Potiphar, what does he do? He bolts. He runs. He gets out as fast as possible. He has no southern charm or hospitality. He is not polite when it comes to disobedience. And you don't have to be either. When disobedience comes and breaches your boundary, you run. I don't, it doesn't matter what boundary you're setting it up against. It doesn't matter what the temptation is. In this story, it's sexual advancement, but it could be a host of things. But you know yourself, you know your sin, you set up the boundary, and when temptation, which is sudden and fierce, and when it breaches the boundary, all you can do is run. I don't know who told us that we have to be kind to sin. Who said we gotta be sweet to sexual immorality? Who said that we've got to be polite to pornography? Who said that we've got to be friendly to drunkenness? Who said that we've got to be generous towards gossip? Who said that we've got to be kind? The Bible says we can be rude to unrighteousness. So you and I have to say, you know what? When the boundary is breached, we got to run. Get out of there. Because we're fighting for our very lives. This is how Joseph responds. This picture is what the Apostle Paul has in mind when he says to the Corinthians, flee sexual immorality. This is the story he's talking about. Flee sexual immorality. When he writes to his son of the ministry, Timothy, and he says, flee the sins of your youth and pursue righteousness, this is the story that he's talking about. This story of Joseph and how he handled temptation becomes the model and the mantra of how God's people handle temptation, which is both sudden and fierce. Flee. 
run, bolt. You can be rude to unrighteousness. Third, not only does Joseph have the word of God planted in him and boundaries established around him, but he understands that the right thing to do is always the right thing to do. The right thing to do is to be faithful unto God. The right thing to do is to be holy in his sight. And that right thing is always the right thing to do regardless of whether God exonerates you or not. Joseph could have been bitter, right? He could have been angry at the Lord. He could have said, Lord, where are you? I did the right thing. These are false allegations against me. And yet here I am in prison. You've got to come and help me. But if you don't reward me for my righteousness, then I'm not going to follow you. I deserve this deliverance. My friends, Joseph doesn't say that at all. Because he knows, I don't deserve for God to help me or heal me. I don't deserve for God to come in and save the day. I don't deserve. Listen, the right thing to do is always the right thing to do. So I'm going to be faithful unto the Lord. Joseph says, even if that lands me in prison. He doesn't defend himself to Potiphar. Not that he could have because he's a servant, he's a slave. But he doesn't even try. He doesn't even attempt to justify himself or defend himself. When I think of Joseph, I am... Reminded of another man who was falsely accused. I'm reminded of another man who was incarcerated for crimes he did not commit. I'm reminded of another man who had to suffer before he was rewarded. The other man to which I refer is Jesus the Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus is the Holy One, yet he set aside all of, all of uh, uh, everything. He emptied himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When temptation strikes, and it will, it will come at you sudden and with great uh, uh, force. When temptation comes, remember Jesus. Because at the moment of your sin, God becomes very unreal to you. It's not that the devil wants you to hate God. He just wants you to forget about God one moment at a time. Just forget about God in the moment. Oh, my friend, when temptation strikes, remember Jesus. When you feel weak in the flesh, remember Jesus. When you feel abandoned, remember Jesus. When you feel forsaken, remember Jesus. When you feel exhausted, remember Jesus. When you feel stressed out, remember Jesus. When suffering is happening to you, remember Jesus. When temptation's at every turn, remember Jesus. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Remember Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Remember Jesus. Jesus, there's some people here today and you need to remember Christ. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Today can be the day of your salvation. I promise you, he can give you strength to overcome temptation. There's some of you here and you are, you, you are Christians. You follow Christ. You've been following for a long time. But temptations are wearing you down. And they come at you over and over and over, wave upon wave. And eventually you just give in, give up, and give out. But oh, my friend, this morning, remember Jesus. Remember the one who took the penalty for your sin. Remember the one who will strengthen you. Remember the one who provided a way of escape for you. In all things, remember Christ.
Heavenly Father, we bow before you. Lord, there are people here that are battling with addictions. There are people here that are battling with sin. There are people here that are battling with worldliness. There are teenagers here that are struggling with uh, sexual promiscuity. There are teenagers here that are struggling with drug and experimenting with alcohol. Lord, there, there are adults here that are dabbling and walking uh, a very fine line into promiscuity. There are people that are gripped by pornography. Lord Jesus, there are people here that have brokenness all over their lives in greed and selfishness and arrogance and pride and marriages are on the rocks and children in far countries. Lord Jesus, there are so many people that are just broken and Lord, you are the one who can fix it. So Lord Jesus, we lay down all of our brokenness at your feet. And on this day, we remember Christ. And on this day, we set up boundaries. And when those boundaries are breached by sin, we bolt. Lord Jesus, we need you every hour. Lord Jesus, we need you right now. Will you please cause every chain to be broken and may it fall to the ground. Help us to remember Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.